I'm excited to launch a brand new sermon series called Experience Christmas. Experience Christmas. For the next, uh, for the next several weeks through this Advent season, we're going to explore this, this concept of Experience Christmas. Let's take a moment before we dive into this new series. Let's bow our hearts. Let's bow our heads. Let's open our, our, our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. We're grateful for this day. We're grateful to be able to participate in the work that you are doing. Lord, I pray that you would use us to bring Christ into our world. Uh, Use us to bring Christ into our community. Father, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Sound guys, there's something going on with the sound. I don't know if it's my microphone, but it gets a little strong up here. So if you know what that is or if I need to swap out microphones, please let me know. Um, otherwise, there's going to be a thump every uh, minute and a half. Um, okay. We tend at Christmas time, I don't know about you, but this is what I do. I tend at Christmas time to take on one of two roles. One of the two roles that I tend to take on at Christmas time is either A, a Christmas consumer, where I just consume. I, I think Christmas is about me and for me. Or I take on the role of Christmas critic. Anybody got any Christmas critics in the house? Any Scrooges next to you? Um, where you just go, yeah, I don't like Christmas. I'm over it. I'm done with that. I don't even want it. I just want to get to New Year. I've, done, I've played both of these roles throughout the years in my life. I used to really be a Christmas critic. Then I kind of became a Christmas consumer. But this Christmas, I want to invite us as a church family to become participants, to become characters in the modern-day Christmas story. What I want us to do is look back at the characters that were at the very first Christmas. Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the magi, Herod. We're going to look at their lives. We're going to explore their lives. And through their lives, we are going to be invited as followers of Jesus to participate in Christmas and experience Christmas. Not as a consumer, not as a critic, but as a character in the Christmas story. And I'm going to start today by examining one of the most obscure characters who is in the Christmas story, somebody that almost gets no love, gets no no accolades, no veneration, hardly at all. His name is Joseph. We're going to explore Joseph today. Now, as I was preparing for this, this sermon, I was listening to some Christmas songs, and what I noticed is that Joseph is conspicuously absent from all the Christmas songs. Have you ever noticed that? Like, everybody makes a, a, an appear, a cameo in the Christmas song. The shepherds get in there, the, the wise men, the camels get in there, the, the sheep get... Joseph gets no, no play. So, so I got a couple examples. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin mother and child. Where's Joseph? He's not in the song. There's no lyrics. Where's Joseph? He's not in there. Uh, I heard another one. Uh, it is this one. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? What about Joseph's lap? <laughs> Joseph never held the baby. He never, he never helped around the house. Uh, all right, last one. Mary, did you know that your baby boy, right? How about Joseph? You didn't, Joseph, did you not? Nobody wants to know what Joseph knows. So, so Joseph... <laughs> Joseph, right out of the gate, we see Joseph is strictly a supporting character in this story. 
And yet, he played an absolutely pivotal, vital role in bringing Christ into the world. So what I want us to do for the next few moments, we're going to look at his story. And we're going to use his story as an invitation for you and me to play supporting roles, to be supporting characters in the story of Jesus as the story of Jesus keeps moving through the centuries as we bring Jesus into our world. Let's look at Matthew 1. I'm going to read you this whole text and then we'll split it out and, and, and dive into it a little bit. Matthew 1 starts with verse 18. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So much in each one of these words. I want to stop and just unpack it for you, but I'm going to get through it and then we'll get back into it. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Today, for the next few moments, I want to speak on the subject, the significance of of a supporting role, the significance, the significance of a supporting role. I have a friend who's from St. Louis, but I met him in Los Angeles years ago. His name's Stephen, uh, and Stephen was a grocery delivery driver for a company called Pink Dot. I don't know if Pink Dot is anybody from LA. Nobody. Okay, so there's a grocery chain. Uh, called Pink Dot. Barry, out, Barry, Barry at the Shaw campus is like going, yeah. Uh, there's a grocery chain out there called Pink Dot, and my friend Stephen had a job driving, delivering groceries for Pink Dot. That was his night job. He also had a day job. His day job was that he was a production assistant at, uh, at a company uh, for film and TV, and he worked for a director by the name of Barry Levinson. And so Stephen worked as a production assistant at this company. Now, In case you don't know what a production assistant is, a production assistant is like the lowest person on the totem pole in the hierarchy of film and TV. The production assistant is not allowed to touch any of the equipment. Uh, The production assistant is not allowed to touch any of the people on the... I mean, the production assistant is like... The production assistant is the person that does whatever anybody else on the set tells them to do. That's the job of the productions. Go get me a coffee. Okay, I'm going to go get a coffee. Go get a script. I'll go get a script, right? Go get a pack of cigarettes. Okay, I'll go get it, right. So, so the production assistant does literally whatever anybody says. It's a completely supporting role. There's no glamour. There's no glory in the job of a production assistant. So Stephen is working as a production assistant. One day at the end of his shift, he's working in this office, and he notices a copy of a screenplay on his boss's desk uh, on the on the coffee table and it was a screenplay called sphere i don't know if anybody ever saw that movie this has been a few years back 
there was a, a screenplay. And so he asked his boss about it. He said, what's up with this screenplay? Uh, and his boss said, well, you know, we've had different writers try to work on this screenplay, but nobody wants to be in the movie. It's just not, com- it's not working together. The studios don't want to pay for it. It's just not working out. So Stephen says, do you mind if I take it home and, and take a look? His boss says, sure, take it home. So Stephen takes, takes the script, goes home, reads it, and thinks to himself, I bet I could help. I bet I could help make this a little bit better. So he goes onto his computer, and Stephen begins to draft his own version of this screenplay called Sphere. And he's drafting and working, and a few weeks later, he comes to his boss, and he says, hey, I don't, I don't know if this would be helpful, but I took some time, and I wrote uh, some stuff about this screenplay, and I'm just going to give it to you, and you just, whatever, you can read it or not or whatever. So his boss reads the screenplay, and when he gets done reading the screenplay, he goes, this is the shooting script that I want to make. He sends it out to the studios. The studios buy it immediately. They send it out to actors. Here's who signs up. Dustin Hoffman, Samuel L. Jackson, Sharon Stone, Queen Latifah, a whole bunch. It's like an all-star cast sign up for this movie. And in that moment, Stephen Hauser went from a lowly production assistant to an A-list screenwriter in Hollywood just like that. Why? Because he was willing to play a supporting role. We are tempted at times, and especially at Christmas, to think that we are the lead character in the story of our lives. We are tempted, we are tempted to be lured by, by our own heart, to be enticed by our own heart, to put ourselves out front, to want to be the top dog, to want to be the lead character, the main character in the story of our lives. And what we learn from Joseph is, hey, this story is not about you. It's about God. And if you really want to move forward in life, if you really want to bring purpose and meaning and hope to other people's lives and real joy to yourself, then you've got to bow your knee and be willing to play a supporting role. We know from the scripture and from our own experience and from life itself that whenever we try to exalt ourselves, it doesn't go well. A precursor to self-defeat is self-absorption. Every single time when we become self-focused, we are headed toward a path of decline, not only personally, but also interpersonally. When we insist on being self-absorbed, self-focused, all of that kind of stuff. And I know this, doesn't, this is nobody in this room or at Shaw. I'm talking about people at other churches. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but you might know somebody. When we get self-focused, self-absorbed, our life becomes small. When we open our life and open our heart and mind and body to serve and advance the causes of God and others, our life opens up. We see this in the scripture over and over. It says, pride cometh before a fall, right? Uh, Jesus said, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. It's a, it's a universal axiom. It's a principle. It's a truth that applies whether you're a believer or not a believer. It just is the truth about life. James, the brother of Jesus, said, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So what we see is this man, Joseph, by the way, do you know how many words are record, recorded that Joseph spoke in the Bible? Zero words. This is a person, we don't know one word that he said. 
the, the, foster, the, the foster father, the adoptive father of Jesus. We don't know one word that he spoke. He was just willing to bow down like that. The irony is Christmas is the holiday that is most about generosity. It is most about us giving out. It is most about us being magnanimous. And yet, we tend to think of Christmas as being mostly about us. And so, the question for me is, if I don't want to be a critic, and if I don't want to be a consumer, what is my way out? What is my way to experience Christmas in a way that brings joy to others and meaning to me and glory to God? Well, Joseph points the way. So, what I'm going to do for the next few moments, we're going to look down into these scriptures. We're going to pull them apart and look deeply at each moment in that passage that I read to you a moment ago because, because Joseph, Joseph's willingness to play that supporting role was pivotal in bringing Christ into the world. And if we follow that example, we get to be a part of that story as well. So let's look back at verse 18, chapter 1. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Notice that in the, the, in the introduction, it is made clear that this is not a story about Joseph. It says, now the birth of Jesus happened this way. And then it introduces Mary. And then, oh, by the way, she was betrothed to this other guy. His name was Joseph, right? So right out of the gate, we learn a powerful principle that, that for each one of us will, will ultimately free us from the malaise of self-absorption. And that is this. Here's the first principle. It's not about us. It's not about us. Turn to somebody. Just tell them it's not about you. How long have you been waiting to say that today? You are welcome. Bring in relationships together. Be conversations on the way home. When we grasp this basic principle that, the, that Christmas is not about us and life is not about us, man, I tell you what, it liberates you. It frees you to live in a way that is far more joyful, far more meaningful, far more purposeful than, than always trying to... to, to advance your own cause, your own dreams, your own aspirations, your own hopes. It's just, if you understand, if you really grasp the reality that it's not about you, you are free to live in a way that will honor God and please God and bring real joy to you and real depth to your relationship. It's not about us. We, we started a new tradition about three years ago at our, at our home, two or three years ago. And this tradition fundamentally changed our Christmas morning. Because what we used to do every Christmas morning, we would come down, Everybody come down, we got music playing, we would read some scripture, we would, uh, we would pray together, and then we would dive under the tree and we would tear open the gifts, and then the rest of the day was like people playing with plastic toys. That, that, was, our, that was our Christmas. About two or three years ago, Rebecca and I were talking, my wife, and I was like, this just doesn't feel right. I just, I don't feel good about Christmas. I don't like our Christmas. I don't like the way it rolls. So we started talking about it, and we changed the tradition. That year, and then every year subsequent to that, we come down. We've got music playing. We're in our PJs. We've got coffee going, right? We read the scripture. We pray just like before. But instead of getting up under the tree, we open a laptop, and I turn to the kids. Rebecca and I turn to the kids, and we go, who do you want to give to at the end of the year out of, out of your allowance? Who do you want to support? What organizations do you want to support? So every year, our kids, out of their little 
you know, whatever little allowance they get every, every week, they make a decision, and we spend about an hour on Christmas morning supporting whatever little organizations or different nonprofits that they want to support. It's absolutely amazing. They all choose different ones. Some, work, some are interested in cleaning up the oceans. Some are interested in homelessness. Some are interested in kid, kid runaways. I mean, they, there's all these different organizations, and our kids go online, and then we actually do the support right then. We make the decision right then, and they, you know, it can be $20, it can be $40, whatever it is, $50, you know, the, the older kids get a bigger allowance, so they've got a little more, you know, room. So they, they, they make this gift, and then we go, okay, let's open the gifts. Now, what that does is it just absolutely shifts the focus for our family. What it does is it reminds us both, both actually, literally, and metaphorically that this day is not about us. This day, in fact, our lives are not about us. We are designed to bring glory to God through serving others with the, with the strengths and gifts and resources that God has given us. That's our purpose. And when we follow the path of Joseph, we align with the true reality of God and our lives begin to expand as a result. So the first thing that we learned from Joseph is it's not about us. But then, but then he actually takes it, he takes it further um, because, because he, he's, he has to make some decisions that are going to be very, very difficult to make. He's got to make some decisions that are very difficult to make. God needed somebody whose ego wouldn't get in the way. God needed somebody who didn't need to steal the show. I'm, I'm going to do one. I'm going to tell you one very personal story. All right. I don't know if I'll tell this in the second service. We'll see if you all throw rocks at me or not. Um, this is a couple of years ago. I was praying and I was praying. I was saying, God, bring revival in this city. Like, let God, let, let One Family Church be a, be a place where people are coming and experiencing the Lord and, and being transformed by the gospel and having their lives changed. And let us be a place where people from all walks of life can come and experience the glory of God. And, you know, I was just praying. It was a good prayer. It was a good, it was a good prayer. It was a pastor prayer. I'm praying for revival, right? And I felt the Lord uh, impress something on my heart, not speak to me in a loud voice, but just sort of impress something on my heart. And it was convicting because here was the impression. Here's the impression that I got from the Lord. Would you be as excited, Brent, if I did that through somebody else. <laughs> Maybe if you're not a pastor, it doesn't hit the same way. But, but, but he said, what, if, if I brought revival through a different church, would you be just as excited about that? If I brought revival, and if, I, if you weren't involved, if you didn't get the credit, would you be as excited about that? <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> it was convicting because it made, me, it made me stop and ask the question, Am I praying a prayer about me or am I praying a prayer about God? Am I praying for his glory or for my glory? It's important for us, if we're going to play a role in the, in, the, in the story of God, it's important for us to not need the credit. It's important for us to know that it's not about us, that we're here to advance the cause of Christ, not the cause of ourselves. In fact, I'll just one more detail on that. Joseph literally needed to be out of the way for this thing to work. Right. Because it was the fulfillment of the prophecy that said a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. So literally, Joseph, for you to play your role, you need to be out of the way. You need to be you need to be not involved. Right. For this for the thing to work. Jesus needs people. God needs people who are willing to say it doesn't have to be about me. All right. I think I I think I got that point home. Okay, but then he takes it even deeper and shows us what humility really looks like. Verse 18, it says. Before they came together, before Mary and Joseph came together, she was found to be with child before, uh, uh, from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, just, let me just pause on this line. 
Because this is a very important line to understand when you're looking at the life of Joseph. Because Joseph knew the first part of the sentence to be true before they came together. He knew that part. He knew she was pregnant, but he didn't know that the last part of the sentence was true. She was pregnant with the, by, 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 by virtue of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know that that line was true. So he is in this in-between where he goes, my wife, my betrothed is pregnant, and I'm not involved, but I don't know how this happened. So her husband, verse 19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he could, have, he could have dragged her before the courts and said, this is an adulterer and she needs to be dealt with. Or he could do what he did, which is he said, I'm going to, or what he was going to do, I'm going to write a writ of divorce and, and just very quietly, we're going to file that and then she's going to go her way. Now that's a sacrifice because that's going to reflect on his reputation. People are going to say either, hey, you got her pregnant and then you let her go, or somebody else got her pregnant while you were married to her. So either way, his reputation is going to get damaged, but he's a just man, and so this is what he says he's going to do. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a, a quick peek at that word considered. It says, as he considered these things. We don't see this in the English, but you see it in the Greek. Here's the word considered. This is what was going on in Joseph's mind. The, the word, the Greek word, enthomeomai, <laughs> I pronounced it 20 times earlier. Enthomeomai, um, it, it, means, it means, the end part of that means in a state or condition. The thymos part of that word means passionate response, passionate frame of mind, agitated or moved by strong provoking impulses, fervent inner cogitation. As you might imagine, when Joseph discovers that his wife is pregnant and he was not the father, he's experiencing a state of mind that is a passionate frame of mind, agitated, moved by strong provoking impulses, fervent inner cogitation. He's freaking out is the American version of this. He's absolutely troubled. He can't sleep. He doesn't know what to do. He's terrified. Like, what do I do in this situation? But the angel speaks to him and says, this is the right thing to do. Take Mary as your wife. Do not fear. Verse 24, it says, this is how he responded. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Here's another powerful insight we glean from Joseph's response in the story. If you're taking notes, write this down. Take direction from above, not from within. Take direction from above, not, not from within. His inner thoughts and impulses would have driven him one direction. But the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to do something else. Uh, last week, I, my family, my wife and I, we were in Idaho. I got to go speak at a church in Caldwell, Idaho. And while we were out there, uh, somebody that we met out there um, had a prop plane. I've never been in a prop plane before, except a couple times with a parachute years ago. Uh, but this person said, do you want to ride in this prop plane? And we'll go up to McCall, up into the mountains, and, and we'll, we'll check it out. So I said, um, babe, do we want to go in a prop plane up in the mountains? And she said, I don't know. But anyway, we said yes. Now there's a picture of us in the prop. There's me in the, in the cockpit. So I got to ride in the cockpit of this prop plane. Now, we're, we're going all the way from Caldwell, Idaho, all the way up to McCall, and there's there's ice and rivers and snow and pine trees. It's just amazing. Um, you'll notice that there's a gauge right there in front of me. You see that gauge right there? 
um, I was interested in that gauge, and I asked the, the pilot, I said, what is, this, what is this gauge? It was interesting because here's what he told me. He said, this gauge is called an attitude indicator, not altitude indicator, an attitude indicator. It's a gyroscopic, uh, it's a gyroscopic instrument that helps you to know how the plane is oriented. Let me get this to you. When you're in a plane and the weather is clear and things are going well, you can see your orientation to the horizon. You know if you're banking too far right or if you're banking too far left. You know how, how you're oriented to the horizon. But if you get in some fog, if a storm comes, if there's too much turbulence, if there's cloud cover, you can get what's called spatially disoriented. In other words, there have been a number of instances throughout history where a pilot flying in bad conditions gets even what they call inverted and don't know it. Meaning they're flying upside down and they can't tell because they're in the clouds and they don't even realize that they're flying upside down. It's an inverted flight. And it doesn't matter how high you are. If you're flying inverted and don't know it, you're about to crash. They've actually, they've actually done analysis on this. Pilots who experience spatial disorientation and who are flying uh, through spatial disorientation, when they crash, which they do fairly frequently in those conditions, when they crash, the mortality rate, the death rate is about 90%. Because basically what happens, and we've seen this happen throughout history, a, a, a pilot who doesn't know where they're at because they can't rely on their senses because they're in a fog... They will run into the side of a mountain or they'll be upside down. They'll think they need to pull up. And when they pull up, they go straight down. This happens, this happens relatively frequently. So this attitude indicator is designed to provide information to counteract misleading sensations for, from the senses for the pilot. Because the pilot might, go, might think we're flying right side up and not realize you're flying upside down. You need an attitude indicator. Can I tell you? There will be times in your life when you're going to hit turbulence. There will be times in your life when you're going to hit storm clouds. There are going to be times in your life when you're in the fog. And if you're relying upon your own senses, if you're relying upon your own internal decisions, if you're relying upon yourself to orient you, you're going to crash. We need to look. We need an attitude indicator. The Holy Spirit is an attitude indicator. Joseph said, man, I am in a fog. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I know what my heart wants to do. But the angel of the Lord said, let me tell you what to do, right? Here, here's what Joseph is showing us. If we really want to be a supporting character, we want to live the life that God has called us to live, take direction from above, not from within. Let, let the objective indicator, let the, let the manufacturer of your life tell you what to do. So Joseph is, is in this storm. He understood that the story was not about him. He, he's, he's, he's decided, I'm going to be obedient. He's taking direction from above, not from within. So he took Mary to Bethlehem. And then we know the story there. And I'm not going to, I'm going to talk about that a little more in a couple weeks. But they have the child. The Magi come. The shepherds come. They have the baby in the manger. Everything is going well. But he hears from the Lord one more time. And here's what he hears. Matthew 2. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, 
and remained there until the death of Herod. Now, pay special attention to this last line. It says this. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, quote, out of Egypt, I called my son. Joseph didn't realize how epic and grand and eternal these decisions were. He was just obeying God in the moment. Last thing I want to show you from Joseph is this. Your earthly actions have eternal impact. Your earthly actions, your earthly actions have eternal impact. Joseph was just a poor kid from Nazareth, from a little town in outside of, outside of uh, Galilee. He had never traveled far. He didn't know any other languages. He never rose in prominence. He wasn't, he wasn't like King David. He wasn't like Moses. He wasn't like these other giants of the faith. But because of his humility, humility, because of his willingness to play a supporting role, he got to do things that nobody else on the planet got to do. Think about this. Joseph saved the Savior. When Jesus' life was under threat, Joseph was the one that said, I'm going to take this child and go to Egypt. Joseph saved the Savior. Jesus was a carpenter. He learned that carpentry trade from his father. He was an, he was an intern. He, he, he was a mentee. He was an apprentice of his father. So Joseph taught the greatest teacher that ever lived. Joseph comforted, as the father, comforted the world's greatest comforter. He encouraged the world's greatest encourager. He led, Joseph led the world's greatest leader. Why? He was willing to play a supporting role. Last thing I want to point out, and this just kind of blew my mind. I never noticed this before. But you know how we always sing songs about the name of Jesus. We have, a, we have a song that we sing often about the name of Jesus. We have scriptures that we quote about the name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, right? Um, Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name. We just, we love, we love the name of Jesus. Do you know who gave Jesus his name? <laughs> I just, I was just blown away by that. Look at verse, last verse, 24, 25. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he called his name Jesus. Because he was willing to play a supporting role, he was assigned the task of naming the Savior of the world. My question for us today is this. What role is God calling you to play? What role is God calling you to play this Christmas season? What role is God calling you to play with perhaps your, your, your brother or sister, a friend, a parent, maybe a husband, wife? What role is God calling you to How is he calling you to support somebody else this Christmas? How is he calling you to step into the supporting role that he has designed for you? Church, just this Christmas, if you really want to experience joy, if you really want to bring hope, if you really want to bring meaning to somebody else, just remember, it's not about us. It's not about us. If we want to be a truly impactful church, a church that really brings hope and joy to this world, that brings salvation and the gospel of Jesus, it can't be about us. It's not about us. And we got to take direction from above, not from within. Lord, lead us and guide us. Show us your path. When we're in turbulent times, how do I walk the path that you're calling me to walk? 
Let me have the attitude indicator of the Holy Spirit guiding me through the fog and the darkness of my own life. Why? Because our actions have eternal impact. The things that we do now just has an impact years and years and years and years to come. The way that you interact with somebody now, just the small role that you play, plays a huge part in bringing, bringing people into Christ and bringing Christ into the world. We get to experience Christmas like a character of Christmas. We get to bring Jesus into the world if we are willing to play our part. Let's pray. God, you're so good. Your word is good. We thank you for Joseph. We thank you for his humility, for his justice, for his willing to, willingness to step into the background and play that supporting role. We thank you, Lord God, that this Christmas, we are invited to, like Joseph, participate in a story that is much bigger than us. Remind us, Lord, that it's not about us. Remind us to seek you, to seek your will and to seek your way. Remind us, Lord God, that the things we do here on earth have eternal impact. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.